this week's episode of the Sporting Hour. I'm joined this week by Matt Blacklock. Kieran can't be with us. Matt's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, mate. Thank you. No problem, Matt. Always great to have you on. We'll be talking some local football with Matt in the opening part of the show. We'll look back on a uh, on a week for the Millers where they recorded a big win over Portsmouth and a draw at home to Wickham. We'll talk Sheffield Wednesday and their, as their struggles continue, a mixed week for the Blades, Doncaster Rovers and Marcus Shop at Barnsley. Also, in the second part of the show, we'll take a look at the, uh, the breaking news today that Steve Bruce has left Newcastle. We'll look back on his time at the club and who we may think will take over moving forward. We'll also have a little bit of a preview of the FA Cup first round which the uh, the draw took place with a few uh, of the lower league local sides involved in that one including Chesterfield getting through to the first round proper and in the final part of the show I caught up with Kieran uh, yesterday as we took a look at the uh, at the Cricket World Cup which starts this week the T20 World Cup starts this week with England getting underway against the West Indies on Saturday so we'll preview in that one in the final part of the show but we'll start with our local football roundup like we do every week and Matt you're a Miller like myself and we've both seen the Millers game this weekend and it's been a pretty a pretty good week for the Millers you must say we, we spoke on the show last week myself and Kieran about it being a difficult week and a difficult spell coming up with the teams in, in in and around the top six for the Millers to face. And we'll start with Saturday's win. And it was a real chance to for the Millers to put a statement out to the league. And and they did just that with a four and win over Portsmouth, didn't they? Yeah, I thought we were really professional in our performance. Um, obviously winning by four goals to one against Portsmouth. Um, we spoke, obviously, before saying that we haven't really showed our best um, side so far this year. Okay, So we've been... Obviously playing okay, but we haven't really hit form and we're just starting to show it now, which is just showing you how good we potentially could be in League One. Um, Portsmouth are in a bit bad form at the minute, but I definitely thought that we controlled the game. They had probably the first 10-15 minutes, then from then it was just total Miller's domination. Um, So yeah, really pleased with Warner now, he's got his side at the minute. Yeah, I'll just going on to that with with Portsmouth, they were in a bit of bad form. Then they randomly beat Sunderland four 0 didn't they, at uh, at Fratton Park before the international break, and that kind of maybe thought, you know, that some thought they may get going from that. They came to the New York Stadium, and like you just said, there for the first 10, 15, even twenty minutes, I thought they started pretty well. Portsmouth um, moved the ball really well, looking to get the ball into players like Marcus Harness, um, moved the ball one touch stuff, uh, and looked pretty pretty good, pretty organised, like a Danny Cowley team generally does do. I remember when Lincoln came uh, many years ago now when, when Cowley was there, the Cowley brothers were there. They were very organised um, liked to try and play a good brand of football. I just thought the goal came at the right time. Just as Portsmouth were maybe on top, the goal from Michael Smith settled the Millers down a little bit and then for me, um, the Millers were the better team from there on. And uh, You look at the goal that Michael Smith scores, it's, it's another goal for him and um, we'll come on now to, to Michael Smith. Two goals for Smith in the game. I believe that's nine for the season now, is it, for Smith, I think? Uh, nine for the season in 13 league games. Nearly matches last season's total of 10. I think he scored 10 plus in the uh, in the, in the the championship. We've always said Michael Smith was a, was a class centre-forward as a Rotherham fan. Did everything, held the ball up, linked play, won headers, pressed, uh, worked hard from the front. He just lacked goals. He's now adding goals to his game, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. And my concern for the Millers going forward is obviously his contract's up in the summer. So we're now in a situation where we have to try and offer him a big contract. 
or we end up losing him in in the summer for nothing, which will be a shame because he's he's in the rich vein of form. I've always been a Smith fan ever since he first come through the door from Berry. Um, I've liked him. He's a typical Rotherham striker, big, strong, powerful, and like you said, he's starting to add goals now to his his game. And for me, we aren't a one-man team, but without Smith in the team, we're a totally different side. We really use Smith, we utilise him, we, we play to his strengths. And, I, and my concern would be that either he's sold in January because the club have to take the money, uh, which is sensible a bit and a good business uh, option for them, or do we offer him and try and bust the bank and, and keep him at the club? For me, I think we offer him whatever he wants and say, look, if you want him, for example, 10 grand a week, there's your 10 grand a week, match the highest earner. Because for me, he's irreplaceable. Yeah, I think if you're not a Rotherham fan, you don't realise how pivotal he is to the team, do you? Um, you know, when you watch the Millers week in, week out, you, you realise, you know, that he is he is our our most important player, you could arguably say. And I know Woody does a great job at the back, but I think without Smith, then the, the style and the way that we play... Um, it would it would really it would really be harmed if Smith wasn't in there. And just looking at his stats, he scored ten last season. He scored nine the last time in League One as well. It just shows the improvement and the confidence that he's now got in front of goal and going forward. I think the the introduction of Will Grigg as well, the, the sign of, of Griggs worked, hasn't it? Because I know he's only scored four goals, Grigg, and two in the league, but they seem to, to to couple up well together, don't they? Yeah, definitely. It's what we've been crying out for when. We play against teams, they seem to put two men on Smith and it's quite difficult. Now they've got obviously Smith and Grigg, which they can't just leave Grigg in the box on their own. So it's just giving Smith a bit more uh, to play with up there. Grigg's a class act. He probably hasn't played his best so far and he'll probably admit that himself. But for me, I'm not bothered if he gets in the box and he gets in and around and he's sniffing on them chances. I just want a goal scorer. What we've lacked at Rotherham for the last probably 10 to 12 years He's a goal scorer, a fox in the box. The last player we had for me were Alpha. Um, and that's going back to Don Valley days. For me now, we've got a striker in Grigg. Yes, he's the wrong side and going towards the wrong side of 30. But for me, um, he's a goal scorer. And then you move through through the game. Barlasa makes the mistake, which he, he held his hand up for. You know, it was a mistake. Should have gone back into your hands soon. Um, the, the, the ground seemed to react differently though I think a few weeks with Barlash would have made that mistake so they've been the fans would have been quite quick to get on his back but it seemed to be everybody tried to lift him the players lifted him and, and obviously he played a role in getting the Millers back in front Smith scores again and a great ball then from from uh, from um, from Barlasa, sorry, into Richard Wood for the for the header. Great to see Woody get on the score sheet. And then Ben Wiles caps off a brilliant display for the Millers. And Ben Wiles is a player that got quite a, a little bit of stick towards the start of the season for maybe not having his best start. But he's a, he's a player that's really becoming important for the Millers, isn't he, at the minute? Yeah, definitely. And uh, just going back onto that with the atmosphere, it has been quite poor at the start of this season. It's probably the worst I've seen it at the New York. Um I don't know why I thought people would come back from the break of COVID and be really looking forward to going to the New York, but the, the atmosphere has been quite poor recently at the New York. But like you said, the fans really got behind them. Even last night as well, they got really behind the team. Um, but yeah, Wales for me, he's had a slow start, coming to his own. If he had an end product like most of our players, I don't think he'd be at the Millers. Uh, you could talk about most of the players in that side. If they had something a bit more about them, they wouldn't definitely not be Wales. Um, just touching on Smith, my concern would be that if we do end up losing Smith, I don't know who's out there that we could afford to bring in. And this is what annoys me being a Rotherham fan is that we've got a class act striker in Smith. 
he'll go for peanuts, but then clubs will want stupid money for a replacement for him. So it's difficult. Yeah, the the the, the name would be Cole Stockton. Stockton's not quite like Smith, is he? Um, for those that know Cole yeah. Stockton, scoring goals obviously at Morecambe, uh, scored goals last season as well at Morecambe, a team that, that you know quite a lot about and are quite fond of. But he is a, a target man of such Stockton, but maybe not of the stature of, of Smith. No, he's not. Cole Stockton's a, don't, don't get me wrong, he's a class act and he's a goal scorer and he's been scoring goals for fun at Morecambe. He's just not the Michael Smith that we know Smith when he first came from Berry is a totally different man to what he were to what he is now. We've really put some time and effort into him and we're getting our rewards now. And same with most players. Look at Chio when Chio first came. You could even go back to Semi Ajay, Will Volks, players that were nowhere near good enough, but a bit of time and the the, the management staff have got to take credit really. Um, and look at the players that we're churning out at the minute. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It may be about, you know, the club showing respect to Smith by offering him a lucrative deal that he deserves because he's one of our most important players. But maybe Smith's showing a bit of loyalty to the club in terms of um, how the club have resurrected his career. Because he was going nowhere at Bury. If we'd not signed him from Bury, he could have been out of a job with, with what happened to Bury in the end. Um, we brought him in and he wasn't prolific and had a few failed spells here and there. But obviously there was always a player in there. He just needed the right set of staff to bring it out of him and that's what Paul Warren, Richie Barker, Matt Hamshaw and the rest have, have managed to do. And he's a fantastic player now and arguably the best striker in League One, which is what Danny Cowley called him at the weekend. So, fantastic win for the Millers in a, in a bit of a pulsating game end-to-end at times. And to go from a pulsating game on Saturday to probably the worst 90 minutes of football I've potentially ever seen at the New York Stadium last night as the Millers drew 0-0 with Wickham. Gareth Ainsworth and his main came with, came with one task and one job and one aim and that was to absolutely stink the place out and come and get a point and that is exactly what they did and it was with the help of a rather poor official performance from former Premier League referee Bobby Medley it was an absolute stinker of the New York wasn't it last night yeah it were uh, it were grim mate um, especially with the weather as well that probably didn't help but yeah with some Ken they come a game plan fair play for them because it worked uh, but I don't think I've ever seen a team time waste from the first minute in a game at League One. Um, I've got a, a, a friend who's a, who's a Wickham fan and he said to me, he says, well, that's all we'll do to you tonight. We'll, we'll stop you from playing. We'll be awkward. We'll be horrible. But obviously it's working. Look where they are in the division. They got promoted well, promote two years ago with us. I can remember when they played us two years ago at the New York. They scored early through Scott Kashkit and they literally just sat behind the ball. But fair play to them. Look, they defended. They defended well. We, if we were clinical enough, could have took a couple of chances. Griggy's had one toward the end. Um, Benny's had a couple that's gone wide of goal. But look, it's a point. I probably would have took a point before the game. But when when you look at that last night, it was it was grim, weren't it? Yeah, very grim. Um, they just came with the idea of throwing themselves on the floor, time wasting as much as possible, and just killing the game. And um, when you see the start of the ball was in play for thirty nine minutes out of the ninety, that pretty much sums up. Um, what the afternoon, what the evening was like. Um, stop, start, frustrating. Gareth Ames, was, you know, giving the Millers a lot of praise and not a lot of teams will come to Rotherham and, and take a point off them. Not a lot of teams will um, um, will be 
in and around the Millers at the end of the season so that if they are in and around the Millers at the end of the season, then they'll be going up because he believes that Rotherham are one of the best sides in the division, which is, you know, obviously the way they've come and set up and the fact that they felt they needed to be as negative as they were to get something from the game is is massive credit to the Millers. But it was just a very frustrating watch and... Um, I thought the first half was a scrappy game. Tafazoli has the two best chances with the, the two headers from Jacobson's um, corners. The Jacobson free kick, which is a good save from Vickers, who on his debut looked very solid in for Johansson. Uh, and then the Millers knocked on the door, didn't they, for, for for half an hour, the final half an hour, looked the better team with the team in the ascendancy, but just couldn't find their way through a, a resolute Wickham side. And Wickham, like you say, will do that a lot to a lot of teams here. Will go and stink the place out and pick up results and be hard to beat, and they'll find themselves in and around there. And you know, if, if that's the way they want to do it, then all the best to them. It's not the way I'd like to watch my team play, but um, each to their own. And you know, teams have to do what they've got to do to get results. And I'm sure if Wickham end up getting up and they've stunk the place out for 46 games, then the Wickham fans will not care one bit. As I think they sung, uh, "Where Wickham wanders, we know what we are," or something like that from the away end. Um, in reference to the uh, to the time wasting, so a frustrating night for the Millers, but a point none the least against a team that are that are uh, towards the top end of uh, of League One. And the task at the weekend is is a difficult one again. They travel to the MK Dons. MK Dons got a good result uh, against Wigan last night, a two one win uh, after a poor result at the weekend. It's going to be a difficult trip for the Millers, isn't it? But a nice big wide pitch at the Stadium MK, and with Ogbeni and Miller seemingly. Um, going to start the weekend after Paul Warren's comments uh, last night. You'd fancy the Millers to go and get at them on, on the big pitch and create plenty of chances, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be a tough week for the Millers, obviously going to MK Dons and then Sunderland at home. But if you can come out with that with four points, we're, we're in a great position. And Paul Warren said last night, if we're in and around the top six after this next two games, then he would have taken it. And I think I would have done as well, especially with the start to the season that we had. We haven't really hit our top gear yet, uh, which we touched on at the start of the show. But for me, look, we've just got to try and get a, a result at MK. Sunderland game's going to be difficult. I fancy them this year. I think they've got a lot in the locker. Um, for me, I think they'll go the distance. They've got a good manager in charge in Johnson who knows this level and he's been here before. So for me, it's obviously let's try and beat MK Dons, which I think we will. I think we'll beat MK. Um, I think we've got enough. Um, but yeah, it all comes down to that Sunderland game. And then if we can pick a result up against Sunderland, I think the whole league then looks at us and goes, you know what, this Miller side, something to uh, to challenge this year. Yeah, if the Millers can go and beat him throughout this difficult month, it'll be a fantastic statement. And I'm sure we'll look forward to speaking about the Millers on next week's show. Across now to a team that are struggling in South Yorkshire a little bit, and that is Sheffield Wednesday. They've had two draws this week against AFC Wimbledon and Cambridge. We'll go down to the AFC Wimbledon game first. And it appeared for um, 60 minutes that we were going to be talking about uh, a Sheffield Wednesday win up from, from Saturday's game. Lee Gregory scoring in the first half and then his penalty that he converted in the second to uh, to give Wednesday a 2-0 lead. However, Wednesday buckled under the pressure of um, of Wimbledon with uh, Guinness Walker and then uh, Radoni in the 84th minute equalising and picking up a big point for Wimbledon and a really disappointing uh, point for Wednesday on their travels, which should have been all three, shouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I've got Wednesday fans uh, that I know personally. And after five or six games, they thought they romped the division. And I've just reminded them that in League One, anyone can beat anyone. You could go beat Portsmouth one week and lose to Accrington the next. Anyone can beat anyone at this level. I think the pleasing thing for me as a neutral is that how good the, the League Two teams that came up last year are actually competing. 
or the teams that were in and around the bottom, like Wimbledon, can compete against the big boys like Sheffield Wednesday. I think Wimbledon will surprise a few. They, they've recruited very smartly. They've used a lot of the London connections. They're all coach as well as brought in some players that he's had previously when he under when he was a youth uh, coach. So they've got some quality in there. Um, for me, for Wednesday, I think the pressure is going to start coming on Darren Moore. And I, I think after Christmas or if they get to January and they're not there or thereabouts, I can see them replacing him with the man that sat at top of League One at the minute in Ryan Lowe. I can really see them going in for Ryan Lowe and bringing him into Wednesday, which we discussed earlier. Um, I think with Wednesday, it's a transition. It's going to take time. Have they still got too many big-time earners at the football club for League One? We both have been in this division a long time with the Millers. We've seen them play. We know what it, what we need to get out of the division. And I just worry that they've got just too many big-time stars in that team. Well, I think you look at the Wednesday team and, like you say, a lot of we, we spoke a lot about giving them chance to gel and under Darren Moore and giving them the opportunity to gel. But we're, we're getting towards November now and they should have gelled by now, shouldn't they? And the results just aren't good enough. If you're Sheffield Wednesday, a big club in this division, with the hopes of winning the division or going up automatically or even getting in the playoffs, when you go to Wimbledon, if you're 2-0 up, you see it out. And if you go to Cambridge like they did last night, you'd hope to go and win it newly from out of Cambridge and not have to score late on to rescue a point. So it, it is worrying times for me. And, and I don't think that, that uh, Ryan Lowe doing very well at, uh, at Plymouth does Darren Moore any good because, like you say, a Wednesday fan favourite, uh, Ryan Lowe, and a, and, a, and a manager that a lot of Wednesday fans wanted before Darren Moore came in. And I could see that happening. It's, it's, it's a step up, no disrespect to, to Plymouth, for, for Ryan Lowe to go back to Wednesday, a, a bigger club. And I could see that making sense. So Darren Moore will be aware of, you know, pressure growing on him and he'll want to, you know, to change things. And he's got this style of play where they play out from the back. They played a 4-3-3 when they came to Rotherham. It, it appears they've gone to a 3-5-2 with Ioka, Dunkley and Palmer in the back three. And Brown and, and Hunt uh, played at full-backs at, um, at Wimbledon. I think uh, in the game against, um, against Cambridge, it was Hunt and Johnson. I've seen a lot of Wednesday fans calling for Corbin now to play. The lad was on loan from, uh, from Wolves. Um, I think they want Corbin now in the team um, because apparently he's, he's not happy with, with the game time and wants to go back to Wolves. So big problems and they'd have hoped to have gone down to Cambridge and got a win, which would have maybe lifted some problems and lifted a little bit of pressure Um off of uh, off of Darren Moore, but they concede a, a free header at the front post, a run across the front post that's flicked in, uh, and then Deli Bashir who scores the um, the equaliser, a great finish, and Liam Palmer has a good chance late on as well, which is a great save um, from from Mitov in the uh, in the uh, Cambridge goal. But that goal for Deli Bashir who in the end is probably a big goal, isn't it? Because if they'd have lost that game Wednesday, they'd have been massive, massive pressure on Moore, wouldn't they? Yeah, definitely, and. Look, they are a massive club and they're probably the biggest club in League One for me. But you've got to realise the division that you're in and you can't just expect Ipswich have done the same, Sunderland have done the same, Portsmouth for the same, expect to be there or thereabouts just because of, of what the club is. The players have got to turn up, they've got to be difficult to be, you've got to be aggressive, you've got to be nasty. Playing out from the back in League One, you can't do it for me. Same as League Two. Unless you have the best players in that division, it's impossible. Now, for me, especially like what Rothmo, big, strong, aggressive. We play from set pieces, we're direct, but it works. And that's how we get our success. And I just think that some clubs think that they come down to League One, that they have the right to then 
play the football and beat teams by playing them off the park. Teams are difficult to beat. Accrington are a prime example. Morecambe are. Cheltenham, they shouldn't even be in this division on, on, on this club's size. But they are, and they help they hold their own. You've got to look at Charlton, another big club that's struggling this year. And for me, League One's probably the most difficult, one of the most difficult leagues for me, just because anyone can beat anyone on the day. Yeah, Wednesday seem to have struggled to adapt to life uh, in League One. They'll be hoping they can turn their form around with a home game against Lincoln and then Cheltenham away uh, the week after a couple of big weeks for Darren Moore. It seems like as well in League One, every time we talk about a Doncaster Rovers win on the show and we hope that the optimism's there for Doncaster Rovers fans for them to kickstart their season, it just seems to go ever so wrong after that. We spoke about their 2-1 win over the MK Dons and about how that could be a real turning point for Richie Wallen's men. However, it's two defeats in a row now with a home defeat to Wickham and then a defeat on the road at Steve Evans' Gillingham on Tuesday night. We'll start with the Wickham game. We saw how difficult Wickham are to beat. Uh, two early goals from, from Stuart and Akin Fenwar. And if you're 2-0 down after 17 minutes against that Wickham side, it's always going to be an uphill struggle, isn't it? Yeah, it's always going to be difficult, especially when you go 2-0 down to Wickham. Obviously, they probably come with a game plan like they did the other night. And they're going to be difficult to break down. I really worry for Donny this year. Um, I just don't think they've got enough. I look, listened when I was on my way to the game last night, listened to their, their bench, and it was basically full of kids. It's going to be so difficult for them. I think they'll be down um, really early this year. And I, I, I feel a bit for them um, just because, obviously, we've got ex-Millers players that play for them. But at the end of the day, the recruitment's not been good enough at Donny. Uh, Richie Wallens knows that. Um, and their plan hasn't worked this year. And I can see them going down probably around about um, after January. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult one, isn't it? And we just keep hoping that they'll they'll pick up and they'll find some form from somewhere. Um, I think they'll boosted by the return of John Taylor back onto the bench uh, in the Wickham game, and he wasn't in the squad uh, in the in the defeat to Gillingham, and it was two difficult games, wasn't it? And I mean, Gillingham have not started the best, but it's always a tricky trip as well, isn't it, to go down to Gillingham on a Tuesday night, especially against a, a Steve Evans side. Yeah, definitely. I know he's been under a bit of pressure. Steve Evans at Gillingham. Um, I think they'll struggle still, though, Gillingham this year. There is a lad that I do like at Gillingham, and that's Verdane Oliver. Um, he'd probably be a nice replacement for the Millers if we ended up losing Smith. But look, Donny for me, I just don't think they've got enough. I really like the keeper that they've got in on loan as well. But I, ju I just feel for them this year. They've tried a different approach in recruitment. They lost a lot of bodies in the summer. They've tried to replace them. It hasn't worked. And I really, really worry for them this year. Yeah, at this point in time, at the minute for overs, they'll be open to turn their form around uh, as they continue the season. Uh, another team that we, we kind of talk about uh, getting a win to kick start their season and looking to string wins together is Sheffield United and their return to championship has been a real stop-start one. Um, they got a massive win at the weekend, uh, the weekend against Stoke, a 2-1 win. Um, Jacob Brown putting Stoke 1-0 up. Uh, on 55 minutes with a neat finish and then Lise Mousset off the bench um, scoring and then David McGoldrick also off the bench uh, scoring. They scored two goals in three minutes to win the game 2-1. McGoldrick influential when he came off the bench. Apparently was, was very good when I spoke to Keir and he said that McGoldrick changed the game when he came on. He was excellent and uh, and and put a real point across and uh, for him to start the next game. And you look at that performance against a Stoke team that started really well. It's a fantastic win for the boys, that, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, it surprised me when I seen the score come in that they beat Stoke 2-1, especially falling behind. It just hasn't really clicked yet for the Blades. 
Um, spoke to a few blades that went to the game last night and said that the referee killed them <laughs> a few times, but they've got to be beating teams like Millwall if they want to be up there. Personally, I don't think it's going to work under Jekanovic. I, I just can't see him getting his way and his philosophy into that football club unless they have a mass clear out. I just... I just, uh, I said it at the time and a lot of people slated me for it, but I did think it was the right man at the time for United. I just, the, the way he plays and how he is as a manager, I just thought it was the wrong fit. He, he's, he's got the job, obviously, with what he'd done at Fulham, but for me, it needed someone that knew the club inside out, a bit like what's happened at Rotherham, someone like Paul Warren that's gone in and he knows the club inside out, he knows the style of football and the type of players that he's got and I I just think there was better people out there that potentially they could have looked at than Jukanovic. I'd, I'll get it till Christmas with them. It's either go one or two ways. They'll either kick on and have a good season or if I was a betting man, I'd probably think that they're going to struggle, if I'm honest, and finish mid-table. Yeah, I just think that I don't mind Jukanovic's appointment. I think he's got a good track record. I just don't think they can get going. Uh, maybe the players in the squad are not what he wants. I don't think the balance is quite what he wants. He's tried to address that, hasn't he? Um, but they've got to be beating teams like Millwall at home if they're going to want to go up and Jed Wallace scores a great goal Billy Sharp equalises with a penalty I spoke to Kieran again and Kieran said that the half, the first half an hour was one of the worst he's seen in a long time and that's why and Dai comes on for Hurahan after after 38 minutes you know Jukanovic isn't resting his laurels he's not waiting he's um, to make changes you know, he, he reacted to it and made a change to get back into the game the Gibbs-White sending off obviously doesn't help and then Jake Cooper, a man that seems to enjoy scoring late goals at Bramall Lane, goes and gets the winner for, for Millwall. And I just thought that was the chance. After a great win against Stoke, they had Millwall last night, and then they've got Barnsley who are struggling at the weekend, and then they've got Blackpool. I thought that was the chance to string three or four wins together and get themselves back in the hunt. And it's just another setback, isn't it, for your cannabis and Sheffield United, and another frustrating night. And I'm sure they'll be wanting to put things right against Barnsley at the weekend, but they can't just keep winning the odd game here and there. They've got to start stringing some wins together to make up for that poor start to get them back towards the top six. Um, the take on Barnsley this weekend, and we'll come on to Barnsley now, and just keeps getting worse at the minute, doesn't it, for, for Marcus Shop and for Barnsley? And um, they went to, to Reading at the weekend, which, is, which isn't an easy place to go by any means, but by all accounts, they played pretty well for 70 minutes in the game but didn't threaten the goal. Clark Adore, I've seen quite a lot that Clark Adore's playing in the front three, and I've seen a lot of people saying he's a left back. He's not... They don't know why he's playing in the front three. It probably shows the 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 confidence he has in the strikers at the minute, other than Woodrow uh, at the club with with Morris being out injured and, and obviously DK back at Orlando. They played pretty well for seventy minutes, but didn't trouble Reading too much. And John Swift provides a little bit of quality to win the game. And it's another defeat for Barnsley. I think you look at the defeats nights, four defeats on the spin. Um, I think the last game they won was was against Coventry, which is the only win they've had this season. Um, they fall now, you know, in, they're, they're still sorry in the bottom three. They'd be joint bottom, as you've said before, if it wasn't for Derby's point deduction. With Sheffield United coming up this week in the South Yorkshire Derby, you've got to think that Marcus Shop is now on very thin ice, isn't he? Yeah, and I think there's issues at Barnsley more than 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 and what's happening on the pitch. I think off the pitch as well, you've got players coming out on live radio, slating the manager, saying that they're not doing enough in training, they don't do enough um, shape work, they're not doing any final third work, which seems baffling, uh, especially our background in coaching, is that they're not working on stuff like that. You've got players slating each other. It just seems that 
like again they've gone for the typical manager at Barnes and the foreign manager and I don't think it's going to work at Barnsley unfortunately under this manager and I can see him unfortunately being sacked I think for me the red flags are showing straight up. You can't have players coming on live radio slating the manager saying you're not doing stuff in training, you're not working on basic coaching points, they're not working on shape, not working on getting the ball forward. How are they expected to go out on the Saturday and go and get three points? They're in second best league in England. They've got to be better than that, surely. But I listened to the manager's interview. He said that there was no issues and everything was fine. It's just obviously frustration from the defeat. But I think there's real alarm bells at Barnsley especially what they did last year to what they, where they are now. Yeah, I must admit, I listened to the interview after the game at the weekend and I wasn't sold on him, if I'm honest. Um, I've not seen much no. of Barnsley this year, don't get me wrong, but just listening to him, I wasn't sold on him that he that he was the man to get them out of this this battle that they're in at the minute. And I just, I don't know, I just, I listened to him and thought, I'm not sure he's the right man for the job. And I know a lot of Barnsley fans now are starting to, to slate the, the European route, but they can't come out and hammer the board now for going European when Stendhal was, Europe, Stendhal was European, did a great job. Struber, in the end, did a good job keeping them up. Um, and then obviously doing the start in the season pretty well and moving on to, to New York Red Bulls, European manager, and then Ishmael, European manager. So you can't hammer the board for bringing a poor European in when not every European is going to be like those three, especially like Ishmael, who's, who's done really well and he's doing well now at West Brom. And maybe it is now time for them to go back and, and bring in... Um, and bring in an English manager, um, somebody that maybe knows the division. If you're down in a scrap at the bottom, you maybe need someone that knows the division. But you look at who's out there. Somebody on Radio Sheffield said, bring in Neil Redfern, which I don't agree with at all. Um, I saw somebody saying, oh. uh, I've seen a lot of people saying that Mick McCarthy would be a good appointment if he was to leave Cardiff. But, you know, he's not at the best of time at Cardiff. It just seems like a bit of a mess, doesn't it, at the minute for Barnes. And it was probably their worst nightmare when, when Ishmael left. They probably didn't want this situation to arise and I saw a lot of people saying that if Ishmael was in charge or if Alex Mowat was in the midfield with DK joining Woodrow up the top of the pitch and Carlton Morris fit then Barnsley win that game at the weekend at Reading but it just shows how how much they've gone backwards after the departure of Ishmael and real problem for Barnsley and, and, and they go into a, a South Yorkshire derby at the weekend with Sheffield United where both teams will be desperate for three points but lots of action to, to look forward to in the uh, in Skybet League One and the Championship this week and for our local teams. We'll be sure to touch on those on next week's show. Coming up after break, we're going to react to the big news that Steve Bruce has finally left Newcastle. On 102.4 FM, across Rotherham, online, on your mobile and on your smart speaker, this is Red Road FM. Welcome back to the second part of this week's show. It's now time to talk about the news which everybody saw coming in the world of football, and that is that Steve Bruce has left Newcastle by mutual consent. He was in charge for his thousandth game in football management at the weekend in a 3-2 defeat to Spurs. 3-2 sounds like the game was close, however, it was a pretty one-sided 3-2 defeat, even after Callum Wilson gave Newcastle the lead early on, and the uh, and St James' Park was full of optimism in front of Amanda Stavely and the new owners. It now brings about the questions of, will Steve Bruce retire? Will we see him again? Uh, and it also brings about the question of who will be in the Newcastle dugout next with it being such an attractive job. But firstly, before we talk about that, Steve Bruce's record at Newcastle was very similar, if not the same, as Rafa Benitez's. However, Benitez is seen as a legend at the club and Bruce has been hounded out. Do you think, like I do, that Bruce has been treated very unfairly up at Newcastle? 
Yeah, 100%. Um, I think it didn't help with what we're going off with Mike Ashley. And I think, it, obviously, they couldn't get to Ashley, so they turned it on Bruce, and Bruce was the scapegoat. Don't get wrong, it's an absolute gigantic club, Newcastle. And get five to, five to ten years, they will be winning competitions with this new board that they've got. But, like you said, the question, I think he's been treated horrifically, um, and especially to be sacked, which we all knew was going to happen. As soon as they came in, Steve Bruce doesn't fit the model, doesn't fit the identity and the style that they want to go for and unfortunately he's lost his job but he will get another job he'll get another job straight away of course he will um but yeah i do think he's been uh, the victim in all this if i'm honest do you think he'll want another job now though he said he's getting on a little bit now and he said himself today that it could be his final job he's had a hefty payoff they believe around eight million pounds i've seen for his payoff so he doesn't need to do it for the money it's probably been a, a pretty difficult time for him and his family. We're all Geordies as well, and big Newcastle fans. It's been a difficult time for them. Do you think he may now think, do you know what, a beach in the Caribbean sounds pretty nice most of the year round rather than getting hammered by fans in the dugout? Uh, it's not bad, that is it? Eight million quid for being sacked. Um, but yeah, obviously I think I'll have a bit of time out of the game, but you never know what's around the corner. There could be someone getting sacked somewhere else in the Premier League or even in the top end of the Championship and he's back in a job. Um, but yeah, it's just it's, it's difficult and it's quite sad that he has lost his job. But it was always going to happen at Newcastle as soon as uh, the new owners came in. I've seen a lot of Wednesday fans saying they'd take him back in a heartbeat back at uh, Sheffield Wednesday, and maybe that's a reaction to Darren Moore at the minute. Um, I think Steve Bruce was uh, was the worst thing in the world when he left uh, when he left Wednesday to go to Newcastle. So um, it's funny how things change. It appears now with Bruce leaving the club. Uh, by mutual consent, as it says, I think it was probably more of here's eight million pound. Will you please leave? Um, and to look now towards an appointment and towards a new manager, um, Graham Jones will take charge in the interim. At the minute, the the coach who was brought in to to help Steve Bruce, obviously in the England setup as well. He's had a bit of a go at management in Luton and did a did a really poor job at Luton, didn't he, Graham Jones? Uh, but he will now be the manager uh, going forward in the interim. Um, the big name link now is Paolo Fonseca. Paolo Fonseca, for those of you that don't know, is the former Roma manager. He was the Roma manager, got linked to the Tottenham job, apparently turned down the chance to talk to Tottenham. He's a man that doesn't know the Premier League, never managed in the Premier League before. He's managed in Europe at a big club in Roma. But is that a gamble, do you think, in bringing in someone that's got zero experience of managing the Premier League when you sat second bottom? Yeah, definitely. But uh, money talks, don't it? And... I can see them, if they are down there at Christmas, investing stupidly in January. But um, I've seen some of the names. Obviously, I've seen Lampard flying round. I've seen even Mourinho, um, Eddie Howe. There's, there's so many managers that you could pick from. The issue that they've got, if Newcastle want a manager, they'll have any manager in the world with the money that they've got. And this is this is the concern I had. It's great for the Premier League. It's probably great for Newcastle. But it's amazing for Newcastle. But with the amount of money now that's going to be spent, transfer fees are going to be increased. Newcastle are going to go in for a player and they'll want stupid money, which they'll pay for. And I think we'll start, especially the clubs like us in League One and League Two and even the Championship, which is just going to be even harder to get into that Premier League. And there's going to be so much money circulating. And yeah, I think with Newcastle, though, if they want a manager, they'll go and buy a manager if they really wanted to. Do you know what I mean? It's obviously then down to that manager if they want to go to that club. But with, with the money that they've got, Money's no option, is it really? 
I think there's certain managers that wouldn't go for me, though. Like, I don't, Brendan Rodgers has, has distanced himself. I wouldn't see him leaving. The project has got Leicester. A lot want Conte. Conte's not going to go there because it's not, it's not a, a ready made team. Conte wants a team that he can go into, add a couple of players and go and try and win a title. I think Conte will probably be eyeing up Solskjaer's job at Man United more than he's eyeing up um, the Newcastle job. I look at somebody like Eddie Howe. I, I, how good a job he would do, I don't know. He did okay at Bournemouth, but there were a lot of stories of how he didn't deal well with high-profile players. If that's the case, they're going to spend a lot of money. Will, will it work? Who knows? Lucian Favre in there, the, the former Dortmund manager, turned down the Palace job, so he would probably be in the running for a job like the Newcastle one. Another manager that's got no experience in the in the Premier League. An interesting one would be Roberto Martinez. You've got to think his time's up now at Belgium after you know another tournament in the Nations League where they they failed to win it again. Maybe it's time for him to step back into club management. Knows the Premier League really well. I think they could do a lot worse than bringing in Martinez. Knows how to keep teams up as well. Um, throughout his time at Wigan, I know he they had a relegation at Wigan in the end, but he, he kept them up over many years and. Then there's the likes of Lampard and Gerard. I don't think Gerard will leave the, the stable job he has at the minute. And Lampard, it's, it's a very big job for someone like Frank Lampard to, to go into, isn't it? The one name I'd love to see is I'd love to see Mourinho go there. I know he said that it's it's close to his heart with the Bobby Robson connections and, and the fans and so on. I think he'd be a great fit to see Mourinho in there to see how he went on with all the money to spend. And, he's, and he, again, he's somebody that knows the Premier League, but why would he leave Roma to go there at the minute? It's probably not quite appealing enough. So there's work to do at Newcastle. There's a, a lot of work to do with a lot of uh, a lot of signings to bring in, a lot of work to get them away from that bottom three and then they'll look to uh, to strengthen the team and try and get players in through the door. Um, but as we say, uh, it'd be interesting to see Newcastle bring in over the coming weeks. And finally, in the final few minutes of this part of the show, we're just going to touch on the FA Cup. The FA Cup first round draw was made. The Millers taking on Bromley, the conference side in there. Sheffield Wednesday getting a very hard draw as well as they take on Plymouth. Just a couple of words on some of the uh, the lower league sides and what a story it was at Pontefract. Pontefract beating Handsworth in the third qualifying round. Handsworth doing fantastically well to get that far taking on, you know, conference giants in, in Halifax. Um, they got a draw at Pontefract, went back to Halifax last night and Halifax ran out 1-0 winners. Just a quick word on, you know, a fantastic achievement for Pontefract to even get to the fourth qualifying round. Yeah, it's amazing to see him. Well done to, to Pontefract for getting there. Um, also as well, Hansworth getting getting there to the, uh, to the third round qualifying. Fantastic achievement for such a small club um, to get that far. But, yeah, really. I watched the uh, the the draw on uh, on Sunday. Um, so really pleased to see that. Obviously, we've got Bo- uh, got Bromley. Be a tough test that for us, Bromley. Um, they're no mugs in the National League, and they've uh, been knocking on the door. Just some uh, some fixtures that I've picked out anyway. Um, obviously, you've got Sheffield Wednesday versus Plymouth in there. You've got Scunthorpe Doncaster. Wow, that's going to be an absolute bore fest. Uh, both teams struggling down at the bottom of uh, League Two and League One, respectively. Um, you've also uh, got some teams in there that have, that have managed to uh, obviously get through quite a few rounds. Um, so an amazing achievement all round. But uh, yeah, you've got Bradbury United versus Barrow. Uh, that'll be a great test for them. But uh, yeah, some great ties to look forward to. 
Yeah, and a few people that we know as well qualifying through the FA Cup. Uh, shout out to, to Tom Elliott, a lad that we know that that we've um, that we worked with in the past uh, at Buxton. Buxton qualifying through their replay with with Kettering, former Blade striker Diego Girolamo, um scoring um, scoring two in extra time to put Buxton through for a first round tie against York, and uh, and Geisley as well. Uh, Millers and and friend of, and friend of ours in Jacob Gratton there and Jake Hull. Uh, and then LeBron Mabuka as well, a lad who's played in the Rotherham Sunday League uh, against yourself and, and many of us scoring the winner to fire them through into the uh, into the first round, taking on Wimbledon. It's great to see some of these teams like Geisley and like Buxton that have got lads playing for them, you know, that we know and then around our age, great to see them qualifying for a big occasion like the first round, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. And I watched a little clip on Marine last year when they got to the third round and played Tottenham. They raised well. They've got in prize money over about half a million pounds, which is just life changing for a club like Marine. So clubs that can get into that third round draw and get a big tie, like a Spurs or a Man U or a Chelsea, it can be absolutely uh, life changing for them. And what Marines managed to do is they managed to basically revamp the whole club with all the money that they raised in that third round. So fair play to all the non-league teams. I love seeing a non-league team, especially for me. I love the FA Cup. The first two rounds are brilliant. Um, when the big boys come in, it. it I lose the love of it, but I just love seeing a, a non-league side, eight tier in the non-league, getting through to the first round and playing the likes of, of, of a top-end league one side. It's fantastic. Yeah, and all the teams will be open to get down, get through the first two rounds and get that big draw in the third round, won't they? Uh, like you say, like Marine did. Marine won't be in the draw this time. They're losing out to Wrexham in a replay. Uh, big spending in Wrexham's uh, main man, Paul Mullin, scoring two in that one. But uh, lots to look forward to in the FA Cup. Obviously, Chesterfield as well. Well done to those to Chesterfield getting through as well. They've got a draw against South End, which is very very winnable one for them. Would be great to see them get through to the second round. And hopefully, if the Millers or one of the local teams can get through, it'd be great to see Chesterfield drawing those uh, in the second round. But that's our look back at the FA Cup and our look as well um, back on Steve Bruce's time at Newcastle. Just a quick shout out to uh, to Rotherham Snooker player Ash Carter this weekend, who goes off in the German Masters qualifiers this weekend as he takes on Sean Maddox. He'll be looking to get a win in that one at the weekend. So good luck to Ash. And coming up after the break, I caught up with Kieran this week as we look to preview the T20 World Cup, which starts this weekend with England looking to add the T20 trophy to the one-day World Cup, which they won a few years ago. On 102.4 FM, across Rotherham, online, on your mobile and on your smart speaker. This is Red Road FM. Welcome back to the final part of this week's show. It's now time to turn our attention to the T20 World Cup, which starts this week. The uh, the Cricket World Cup in uh, in the T20s begins over in Abu Dhabi and in Oman as well, uh, over in the uh, in the Middle East. It was meant to be um, staged in India, I believe. It was in Australia originally, then it got moved to India and now moved to the um, to the Middle East. Uh, out into uh, Abu Dhabi and so on. England played a warm-up game today against um, Trey on Monday against um, against India, which we'll which we'll come back to later on in this segment. But we'll just quickly talk first on the tournament itself. We saw how the uh, how the World Cup gripped the country in terms of the uh, the one-day World Cup being in England and, and the success that England had. When you talk about the T20 World Cup, you instantly think about that Ben Stokes over with Carlos Brathwaite smashing the runs off of Stokes, the four six in a row to win it. England came so close that time. They've got a pretty good team this time, so it should be a positive World Cup for England, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should. But after you know, there's so many other other good teams in it as well. Like, like you said, uh, just said there, sorry about the warm game of India. 
obviously they're looking like a strong side. You look at our group games, we know confirmed now. Um, you know, West Indies, Australia, and South Africa, then there'll be two or two of the qualifiers chipped in there, I believe, as well. So it's, it's going to be a you know a very difficult tournament to win. We, like I said, we've got mighty close before, but you've got to be on it. You know, you can't afford an off day in the T20 World Cup, maybe one, maybe one, two maximum in the group stage. But after that, you've got to be on it all the time. And it, and it is easy to have an off day. Um, like England, maybe had in that final, probably the favourites going into it. I know the West Indies had a good team, but we, we fell short on that occasion. Um, but no, looking forward to it getting up and running. Yeah, it's one of those in the World Cup, isn't it, in cricket, where you can't really have a, a favourable draw and someone to go through. Um, how it works is, for those that don't know, the um, the top eight teams in the world automatically qualify for the Super 12s, which is the second phase of the tournament. And then there is um, four teams in two divisions that, um, that try and fight for those extra four spots uh, in the Super 12. So Scotland got off to a good start beating Bangladesh. Ireland getting off to a good start as well, beating um, beating Holland. Um, teams like Sri Lanka also in there as well now, having to, having to qualify because they're outside the top eight. Uh, Bangladesh also, as I've just mentioned. And then the top eight teams are split with the two groups like Kieran just mentioned there. So um, you've, got the, um, you've got the two... The, the two groups, England's group, as Kieran just went out there, uh, they'll be hoping to try and progress through that, obviously, to semi-finals and then into a finals. Just looking at the odds, the, the favourites are India, which which you would think, you know, in the Middle East, in, in, the, in the conditions that will be favourable to India, you would think that they would be favourites, obviously. Uh, then you've got England, um, second favourites, New Zealand, third favourites, New Zealand, very good T20 side, Australia, fourth favourite, Pakistan, West Indies, South Africa, Bangladesh, Afghanistan and the rest. So, um, England favoured, you know, and up there with, you know, maybe thinking that they can get to the um, get to the T20 final, but they're going to have to probably get past India, aren't they, to do that? And they took on India today, um, on, on mon- Monday, sorry, in a, uh, in a, in a friendly game, a warm-up game, um, if we look back at that warm-up game now, England posting 188 for five off their 20 overs, which is a very respectable score. Um, you look at some of the scores from, from England and the, the highlight is 49 from Johnny Bairstoff, 36 balls, 43 off 20 for Moeen Ali as well at the end with a bit of a flourish. Liam Livingston looking good for his 30 as well. Um, India in response, uh, knocked it off with an over to spare and six wickets to spare also, largely thanks to Ishan Kishan, the young Mumbai Indians batsman who's had a, a very good IPL, um, scoring 70 off 46 before he retired. KL Rahul, 51 off 24 as well, always reliable. You think that Rahul will open the batting with Rohit Sharma in that team. Um, Livingston picking up um, the wicket of Kohli. Livingston could be used as a as a spinning option as well in in, in this tournament and uh, India managing to um, to see England off. In terms of the bowling figures, um, David really the standout with one for 16 off his three overs. Um, Chris Wokes, the one at risk you could say is in four overs, none for 40. Mark Wood um, bowling two overs, one for 22. Chris Jordan as well uh, with uh, three overs, none for 35. So it doesn't make great viewing, does it, on the bowling card for England. But you look at it and you think India with a bit, bit of a stacked squad are going to be right up there, but England are going to have to bowl better than that, aren't they, if they're going to end up winning this tournament? Yeah, they are. Like I say, it's only a warm-up game, so how much we can read into that, I don't really know. Obviously, you would like them to go out there and win and you know, all, all be really tight with the ball and all take wickets, but it's, it's not going to be that way. Um, you know, like I say, against India, what are the favourites in conditions that, that favour India as well? 
Uh, by all accounts, Livingston did ball quite well. I just mentioned there, it could be used. Livingston did ball quite well. I've not um, caught the game. I've just caught the highlights of the game. Um, as I've got in for, as I've got in from work the other night and, and saw the few bits and, and listened to what they were saying. And so by all accounts, he ball well. So that's good that you've got options there. Like you said, the, the positives with the bat. But they, they will have to improve with the ball, like I'm sure they will do. And they've got experienced players in there. Moeen Alley, Chris Jordan always just seems to do well. David William, maybe the points point to prove. So no, no, it's it's not a great start for us, but um, you know, I'm, I'm more than confident we can we can go quite deep into the tournament. Yeah, I think you look at the team, and obviously the big the big omission from the team today um, on Monday, sorry, was uh, Owen Morgan not playing. He, he played in the IPL final for um, the Calcutta Knight Riders, captain those to the IPL final. So he's going to come back into that team somewhere at some point, and you'd think that maybe one of the bowlers may drop out. Could be maybe after today's showing, could be Chris Walks that maybe drops out with the addition of obviously Livingston in the team. He's another spinning option which which will be needed out in um, out in the UAE because um, obviously Morgan's going to come back into captain the side. Another thing would be does Tamar Mills get a go? Does a Mark Wood drop out with with the amount of um, games that there is back to back obviously with the group stage and then going you know, five games in the group, I think it is, and then going through to semis and the finals. You'd think that Mark Wood's going to miss some games at some point. Well, Tamar Mills then stepping for him there on the back of a really good 100. Um, so, questions to be answered for England, but it's kind of, it's questions to be answered, but it's a good position. It's a tough position, but a good position to be in, isn't it, to have so much depth? Yeah, it is. And uh, like I said, there, when, the, when the team initially came out on Monday, I thought we were maybe a better show. Obviously, that explains it with um, Morgan not being available to play. You know, when I was looking down the order, I thought the likes of Ali was maybe a bit too high. Although he has got a good score, you know, he normally comes in a bit lower down the order. Um, but now, like you say, it's a, it's a great position for us to be in. There's players that haven't even gone that would get into most of the sides as well. You know, Joe Root springs to mind. You know, even though he's not the the explosive cricketer of Livingston and and Morgan and Butler and Bairstow, you know, he's you know, I think for me, for me, it'd been. 95% of the teams over there so it's, it's a very good position for us to be in we've got a strong squad um, like I said maybe in the, the warm-up game it, it may rotate and others may get a chance like I said there's, there's a few there's quite a few games providing you you go deep into the tournament so I'm sure rotation will be key like we touched on last week and Mark Wood about the Ash as well I, I know you're not you're not bowling as much um, but we'll even be able to play in short spaces of time so I'm sure the squad will be used um, and, and I look at I don't think there's a, there's a weak part of the team at the minute for us yeah and England uh, to take on the West Indies in the, in the first of their games at the weekend uh, on Saturday the first of their group stage games um, so it'll be a, a difficult game against the reigning champions a repeat of that final um, they've got Australia to play in that group as well um, they've also got like, I think you've mentioned at the start didn't you about having Australia to play South Africa Um you know, and then the other teams have qualified from the group. So, difficult start maybe for, for England, but, you know, you've got to beat the best to be the best. And you kind of look into the other teams now and if you look at Australia, coached by Justin Langer, they've got, the you know, the firepower of Aaron Finch, the captain, Steve Smith in that team, uh, David Warner in there, then the likes of uh, Glenn Maxwell, an all-rounder who should do well in those conditions, plays well in the IPL. Um into the ball and attack Josh Hazelwood and uh, Mitchell Stark and so on and a really interesting one in the Australian squad is Josh Inglis 
who was a wicketkeeper for the Perth Scorchers. He was actually born in Leeds and lived in England until he was 14. So he's a Yorkshireman that's openly said he's English and is an English cricket fan, but he's now been called up to the uh, to the Australia squad. So uh, he'll play for Australia um, in the tournament, they think. Um, looking at some other squads as well, obviously you've got the likes of England in, the, in, in the India that we've touched on. Um, you look. You look at the other teams and the team I quite fancy in, in New Zealand. Um, Kane Williamson, fantastic player, um, fantastic captain as well. They did. They came so close in the in the one day World Cup. Uh, they've got big Carl Jamieson uh, that we know is a great bowler. Mitchell Santner and his Shoddy, two good spinners as well. And then you got the power, the firepower of a uh, Devon Conway and Martin Guptill um, up the top of that order as well. And uh, you know it's a it's a competitive tournament. The likes of Sri Lanka having to qualify, you know, a team in years have gone by have done really well in World Cup. So. Um, you look at it; it's very competitive outside of outside of England and outside of India that we've touched on. Is there any teams for you that you think that that may have a chance? Yeah, I've just mentioned obviously New Zealand with some of the players that they've got. Do you think there's any other teams that, that stand out that could have a real good go? Yeah, I think I think mine would have maybe been New Zealand as well as a little outsider, but I know they're third favourites. I think it literally could be anyone. You know, barring the maybe the qualifiers that come through. Um, it could be any one of the teams that are probably already like guaranteed a place in the group stage. I think with the, the Cricket World Cups, you know, you, you've got a. It's not like the football where you can maybe have a, you know, three or four teams where it's a guaranteed group stage and you won't play someone decent until the later stages. You know, in the Cricket World Cup, they come thick and fast. Um, and, and I think there'll be any team. You know, you never write the Australians off in these sort of tournaments. They they dominate the tournament for years, didn't they? Um, West Indies defending champions. They'll be looking to, obviously. Um, Keep keep the tournament in the west. Uh, keep the trophies already in, in the West Indies. But the, the, there's literally uh, out of the team. Though, I wouldn't be able to pick. Like I, say, I think, uh, I think India and England are maybe clear favourites with the bookies. But I, I literally think it could be anyone. And, and maybe mine. If you're not saying the top two, mine would have probably been uh, New Zealand as well. Yeah, another put outside shout. Yeah, just looking at the squad. You're yeah, looking at the Pakistan squad as well. There's some great players in the Pakistan squad. Babar Azam, uh, the captain there, really exciting cricketer. Babar Azam um, can score, you know, can score runs quickly. Um, he's, he's a fantastic cricketer, Babar Azam. You've got Shadab Khan, who's the vice captain. The experience of Safraz Ahmed. And then you're looking at the likes of um, Shoaib Malik with experience as well and Mohamed Afiz. And then the youngsters he had were seen um, and, um, and Shaheen Afridi. Uh, they're, they're you know good players in, in the T20 format and they're, t- they're players that can maybe push Pakistan on as well they tend to do quite well in World Cups as well Pakistan um, always seem, seem to reach the, the, the latter stage so they'll fancy a go as well and uh, you think that the having the IPL that's just happened I know some of the England players didn't go out but the IPL has just come to its conclusion with the, the Chennai Super Kings winning the IPL Owen Morgan as we said got to the final with Cole Cutter do you think having the IPL just before the tournament will will make the tournament even better with players coming into it off the back of playing T20 cricket banging form? Yeah, you'd like to think so. Obviously, the, we've had the 100 over here as well. And, you know, and like I mentioned there, the IPL. So, I think, you know, the fans will be well up for it. Like I said, the players will be, be in full swing. They've not had, you know, five or six weeks playing test cricket and then got to totally switch their, their um, you know, their game plan or and how they play the game. So, I think yeah, it potentially could help it, yeah. And, I say, obviously, we've had a, a lot of messing about of where it's going to be and is there going to be, I'm not even sure, is there going to be crowding, many crowd I've shown in the Barmy Army tweet that they can go if they want to, I believe. Um, so, obviously, that, that, that could that could um, 
maybe not the, the the Ram crowds that we used to, or what it would have been had it been in India. I mean, you know, imagine playing India in the T Twenty World Cup semi final or final. Um, you know, that's you know, sort of like bucket list type things, isn't it? Um, so there was some crowd there which would make it decent. And, and to answer your question, like I've just said, uh, it, it potentially could make it a great tournament that, that some of the players are going to be in um, full T20 mode. It'd be great to see Scotland and Ireland qualify as well. Both got off to good starts in the in the preliminary rounds. Hopefully, they can make it into the uh, into Super 12s as well. And it's it's the start of a massive winter of cricket, isn't it? This with the with the T20 World Cup. Then that ends towards the end of November, going into the Ashes, starting at the start of December. Um, it's it's a massive winter of cricket, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like you said, this is this is kicking off the the winter. Obviously, we've had a, a decent summer of cricket. Obviously, it ended a little bit on a sour note with the England India Test match debacle and, and whatever I went off there. But this kicked off a, a really good winter, and obviously, positive positive signs that the Ashes will go ahead. And um, obviously, we, we all look forward to watching that um, and the T20 World Cup. So yeah, it's it's a great way to kick the the, the winter off as well. I think. England have just confirmed the tour of West Indies in January, maybe maybe a bit later on in the year as well, just after the Ashes. Um, I believe I read earlier on, um, so that, that's again an, another another tour to look forward to. Would not be a bad tour to go on that, would it? I think they'll be queuing up to go on the tour of the West Indies at the minute. Would you like to spend a couple of months in the Caribbean? Yes, please. Um, I think you you look as well at, at the videos at the minute, and you can, you maybe can't read too much into them, but it just seems to me a little bit weird how these Ben Stokes videos just keep dropping at the minute. The first one of him gripping the bat, then the second one of him playing some shots in the nets, and now the one today where he's bowling in the nets, and people are thinking, is he going to make a little cheeky comeback for the uh, for the Ashes? And you know, you not we're not saying that he will do; it's purely speculation. But it'd be fantastic to see him back in the England team for the Ashes, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would, and it obviously massively boosts our chances. Um, obviously, if he's in the right frame of mind, obviously that's what he had the break for. And if he's in the right frame of mind and he's fully fit, he obviously walks straight back into that side and you sort of build a team around him and, and Joe Root, you know, they're the first two names on the team sheet and you go from there. Like you said, the, the video's coming out, maybe teasing us a little bit, maybe it's just showing his progression. But, you know, if, if someone maybe come out one way or the whether it's Joe Root or Ben Stokes himself or, or the England coach came out and said he's definitely going or definitely not going, maybe that maybe that would do something. But even if he said he definitely wasn't going, the, the media and the, the social media would still be um, vying for him to come back. So hopefully, hopefully if, if he's fit and in the right frame of mind, maybe maybe we do see him in Australia after all. Yeah, it'd be fantastic to see him there and, and overcome his, his recent struggles. And like I say, it'll be a massive boost to the team. But he won't be out in the UAE, but we wish the England team all the best and uh, and all the luck in the world out in uh, the UAE. And it'll be a fantastic tournament to watch, which kicks off for England this weekend with that game against West Indies on Saturday. So some great cricket action to look forward to this week. That's all we've got time for on this week's show. We've looked back on the football action. We've previewed the cricket. There's lots more football action for our local team this weekend and that cricket we've just talked about as well. And we look forward to talking about them on next week's show. Thank you for listening. <laughs>